Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. This is Joe Lynch with the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's podcast, I'm not going to talk about supply chain. We're not going to talk about logistics, no e-commerce, none of that. We're going to talk about ALS and how ALS sucks with my friend, Larry. Welcome, Larry. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much. So, you guys, please indulge me today. I'm not switching the <laughs> nature of the podcast to ALS, but my good buddy, Larry, has ALS, also called Lou Gehrig's disease. We'll get to that in a minute. But we uh, set up a way to raise money, not for Larry, but for ALS research in general. ALS is just an awful disease. So today we're going to talk about Larry's story. We'll talk a little bit about some promising treatments and just give you a sense for what's going on in the ALS world. And trust me, you don't want to be in the ALS world. <laughs> so Well said. <laughs> yeah, Larry's going to make that clear to you today. So I grew up with Larry in Dearborn, Michigan, and we graduated many years ago. I like to say between Led Zeppelin and Clash and U2, somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. in there. <laughs> Shortly after <laughs> we listened the to world. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's been a while. So Larry and I didn't necessarily hang out in school. I always liked him. He was always in smart kid classes. I was in those other classes. And we were click adjacent. I always liked Larry, liked his group of friends. We had overlap, mm-hmm. but we didn't necessarily hang out. We reconnected, I think, 10 years ago when everyone got on Facebook. And I get to know Larry better now than I did back then. And um, when he caught ALS, it was just devastating because I've, we're from Michigan, which has the highest instances of ALS. And I know when he announced it on Facebook to our friends, some of many mutual friends, everybody said, oh, yeah, my uncle had that. My coworker had that. My wife had that. The guy I grew up across the street from me, Deke, greatest guy ever. He has it. One of our classmates, Brett, his wife had it. It's an awful, awful disease. And I think when you hear Larry talk about it, you'll get a sense for that. So indulge me this one podcast, guys. Please listen. I think it'll be worth your while. So enough of my blather. Larry, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about where you grew up, a little bit about your career up to the time you got ALS. Sure. I moved around a lot when I was a kid. My dad was a college professor struggling to get his, well, not struggling, but working to get his PhD. So we moved to, we were kind of like the uh, academic version of a military family, I guess. We moved every two years. I landed in Dearborn when I was 13, right? Start right in the cusp of eighth grade, middle school, clicks and all that wonderful stuff. Yeah, we and grew up in the Dearborn area from that age on. Went to school in Detroit, got an engineering degree, and then actually left the Detroit area for about 10 years. Well, wait a sec. You were world famous for a minute, Larry, mm-hmm. with your about your rock band. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I was. Uh, we were. What's the phrase? A legend in our own minds. Uh, I was in a band briefly in school in college, and yeah, that's my. Uh, you guys are well known. Fame, well known within a circle of probably fifty people. Yeah. I heard, Tom, I think Tom Demerley, our mutual friend, said world famous in Dearborn. But I do know you guys played in Detroit, and I do remember hearing about it. Well, Tom was in the band, so, you know. <laughs> world famous in Dearborn's good enough. I mean, it's a lot big city. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Continue on. Yeah, so uh, got into engineering, left Detroit for about a decade, and then 
moved back to the area when we had kids and started working for some of the major car companies that we've all know of in the so area. Did you move to Silicon Valley? Yeah, I start, actually started my career at a startup in Silicon Valley. There was uh, the Bay Bridge earthquake in the late 80s, and my wife came home and informed me that we were moving and we needed to find a new place to live. So we moved to Chicago. We're there for about seven years and then landed back in Detroit. I know this. Half the people I talk to lately are from Silicon Valley, so we are, you're in good company. Yeah, yeah. Smart folks out there. So. And then you guys uh, had some kids. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah. So two children, they're now in their uh, early mid-20s. And that was, in some ways, the saving grace of my ALS diagnosis was that when it came down, they were already launched. And the people who my heart really goes out to are some of the ALS sufferers who still have young toddlers who don't have a, you know, an image of their mother or father not in a wheelchair, not on a respirator. So it's, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I still see that as a, a good thing that, that happened to me as, as late in life as it did. Yep. And Larry, you forgot to mention probably your best decision, your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we got, uh, I, actually, I graduated, got married, and we moved to Silicon Valley all in the space of uh, two or three months there. So, so it was a hard switch from being a poor student to being a poor engineer in Silicon Valley. Yeah, well, you can be poor and an engineer in Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, no matter um, how much money you make. <laughs> yeah. So, Larry and I, I know we probably passed in the halls at some places in the uh, automotive world for because I worked in engineering mm-hmm. for many years. And Larry, I know, has many patents. And I think you always worked in the uh, electronics and the... Yeah, if you've uh, listened to a car stereo in uh, one of the major OEM cars, that's probably, I had something to do with it in the last 10, 15 years. So, Larry, very nice life you and your wife built for yourself. And Mm -hmm. guys, I spent a little bit of time at, I went to a party at Larry's house a few years ago when he still lived in Michigan. And you should see they bought an old house in a trendy area. And it was this fantastic life, you know, as your kids Mm -hmm. get out of school. And uh, then when Larry announced on ALS that he had ALS and Facebook and I started rumoring around, it was like just devastating because he had a really nice life. Not that it would be any easier if you had a crappy life, but the yeah. contrast is just awful. So, Larry, tell, talk a little bit about that diagnosis and the prognosis for this awful, awful disease. Yeah. When I uh, was first diagnosed, as I mentioned, my kids were launched. They both had jobs. We were just starting to travel and sort of start our quote-unquote second life or whatever. And yeah, we had bought this 20s bungalow. We were fixing it up and you know everything was going our way. And yeah, I noticed on a business trip that I had been limping for a while and just kind of ignored it. You know, one of those things that you think is going to go away. And I noticed on a business trip that I couldn't stand on my toes anymore. I could on my right foot, but not on my left foot, no matter how hard I tried, it just wouldn't move. And I remember calling my wife and telling her about it. And she sounded a little concerned. So I went to my doctor. My doctor told me to push with my foot. And I I pushed and he said, no, 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 push. And I said, I am pushing. And that was the end of the examination. He sent me to a neurologist who took one look at me and sent me to an ALS neurologist. And she performed some uh, tests on me. The definitive test, if there really is one for ALS, because it really isn't a a cut and dry, you know, like blood test for ALS or something. They they basically exclude what are known as mimickers, things like Lyme disease and other things that can cause very similar symptoms. And if they've gone checked off the whole list and there's nothing left, you kind of end up with a diagnosis of ALS. But 
she did a, an EMG test, which is a, a nerve test where they inject some electric charges through a needle into your nerve. And it's not a wonderful experience, but it's more definitive as to, you know, nerve conduction and, and things like that. And what ALS is, is it's a motor neuron disease. Motor neurons are the wires that go from your brain. There's a distinct nerve that goes from your brain to every single muscle in your body. And that's how your brain tells that muscle to contract or relax. And what happens in ALS is those motor neurons die and still no one knows why, but they're able to test, you know, nerve conduction and actually see what's going on with the nerves. So you have pretty quickly, I, I would say within three months of the first time I went to a doctor and I got my preliminary diagnosis of likely ALS. And then they, they wait about another three months and then rerun that test at EMG. And then they can tell from the progression from test one to test two. Uh, and at that point, they gave me a definitive ALS diagnosis. And that was probably about three and a half years ago now. So when you get that diagnosis, they talk about treatment. Do they talk about a prognosis? Yeah, it's. I would not want to be a neurologist having to give that diagnosis. They basically, they don't dump it all on you all at once because people would just freak out. But you very quickly, especially with, you know, Google and the internet, the first thing you do when they say ALS is you run home and you Google it. But the news they give you essentially boils down to there is no cure. It's 100% fatal. Average life expectancy is two to five years. 50% of the people who are diagnosed with ALS are dead in three years. There are currently four drugs approved by the FDA. I've tried two of them. My opinion, neither one of them worked for me. All they even claim to do is slow down the progress. There are no treatments that stop the progress, and there are certainly no treatments that make things better. Approved treatments, I should say. So two to five years is, and you're already three and a half. So yeah, God so I consider myself to be a lucky person, right? I'm still pretty much self-sufficient. I'm in a wheelchair full time, but I am, lead a fairly independent life. Uh, three and a half years after diagnosis, you know, about four years after the first time I noticed uh, a symptom. Well, Larry, I mean, if I could uh, <laughs> mention this, you were real active. You and your wife both were real active socially going out to all of our nice restaurants and bars here in the Detroit mm -hmm. area and riding your bike. I know you were, you're the athlete and that's crazy that, you know, you're the lucky one and you're in a wheelchair. Well, I mean, lucky's relative, right? If I thought it would do any good to whine and complain, I would do that, but I don't think it'll help. Right. And so Larry and I've talked a few times about this offline. The thing that I find most disturbing about ALS, a few things. We sometimes call it, you see, sometimes hear this called Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig, Larry and I just looked up, he died in 1941. So basically 80 years ago. And, and it was a known disease then. <laughs> right. Right. So after 80 years, the prognosis is two to five years lifespan after diagnosis. And it's a miserable way to go. I mean, you lose function. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we don't have a treatment, I get that we might not have a cure where they say, hey, here's the miracle cure, but a treatment where they say, Larry, you know, we can do this and your quality of life will improve or we're going to give you five more good years. That would mean quite a bit at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 would, I would take that. The one thing I've noticed when I've 
you know, met people and, and told them I had ALS. If they're not at all familiar with ALS, the, you know, the first thing they ask is, so what's the treatment for that? And they generally seem very surprised when you say there isn't one. People just aren't used to that where there's a known disease and there's just, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. Right. Larry, when we were talking offline, I just mentioned when AIDS became an issue, HIV and AIDS, we had this national reckoning where it was kind of like, let's get on board. Let's figure it out. Let's prevent it. Let's look for drugs. And now I don't know that it's true, but I think, you know, Charlie Sheen, not to be necessarily trusted, he says, I'm free of that disease. I don't have HIV anymore. Think of all the innovation that we've had in the last 80 years, mm-hmm. even cancer. You can get cancer and live a healthy, normal life for the most part now. Mm-hmm. Heart disease, all these things and nothing for ALS. And I think that's probably because it's not, it doesn't afflict millions. How many people die of this every year? 5,000 people are diagnosed a year and about that same number die of it every year. That's in the U.S., I believe. I'm not 100% sure of the number, but I believe that's a U.S. number. Yep. So there was an article I read, and I I couldn't find Larry looked for it. He couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure I sent it to you. Michigan, where Larry and I grew up and where I live still, is ground zero for ALS. I think it's got the most cases. And so there's some speculation that maybe it's caused by our industrial past. I mean, we we live in a place that made a lot of cars. There's some scenery uh, in Detroit. (laughs) Yeah. My dad always says when he was growing up, he said, when we'd see the smoke stacks, you know, spewing smoke, he said, we were just delighted because it's been full production. (laughs) (laughs) We're a little less happy to see that in this day and age, but we still don't know what causes this. We still don't have a treatment that it can extend life. And we certainly don't have a cure. And that seems shocking after, again, 80 plus years of knowing it's out there. Yep. So, Larry, I want to switch gears a little bit. When you got this, you know, I, I remember we were, uh, some of us were looking, fortunately for you, you have good insurance, not that it does you a lot of good because. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, there's still very good insurance. Yeah. yeah. It's the joy of being an automotive guy. Right. But I ran across this ALS TDI. So it's, what does ALS stand for again, Larry? I can't even pronounce it. Amyotropic lateral sclerosis. Maybe that's the problem. They gave it a bad name. Right. No one can say it. (laughs) Right. So ALS Therapy Development Institute, they have some promising treatments. It's a nonprofit biotech over in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And so Larry's fortunately doesn't need financial help, but this disease is not have enough research around it, does not have enough happening. And those guys are working on some promising research. So I want to talk a little bit about um, how you can help, um, you know, rather than just leave this as <laughs> Larry's got a problem here. <laughs> we should be able to have treatments and it's eventually a cure. It's shocking. And also, I think once we have a cure for ALS, I believe there's some diseases that are kind of adjacent to this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I believe there's a number of, you know, in fact, it falls under the umbrella for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. There's a number of the kind of old school Jerry Lewis, if you're if you're as old as we are, telethon kind of diseases that fall in a, a very related area and I believe would be improved by these, these same kind of treatments. Yep. So we will not bore you with the details or get into that level of uh, detail with on the promising treatments. Or but pretend they to understand there. it. Right, right. Well, I might pretend. I do that a lot. <laughs> but this ALS TDI, look them up. I'm going to put a link here. And there's we're specifically raising some money for Larry. It's not for Larry. Again, he's got very good. He's well off. He's got uh, nice, nice insurance. This is for the people who 
we're going to be diagnosed with the disease today, tomorrow, and the next day. And, you know, for just a minute, guys, if I could ask you, imagine if Larry's words were yours or this is where you friend. It's an awful, it's an awful disease to get. Of all the diseases you could get, this is as bad as you're going to get because there's no hope. And that's what we need to give people with this disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's a devastating diagnosis and it takes you, I guess you never really accept it. You know, I was having a dream last night, in fact, that I could move my leg again, you know, and it's four years in. It never goes away. Well, it it eventually goes away, but when you do. Right, right. So I want to talk about ALS TDI for just a second. Again, they're, they are always looking to raise money. They've got this kind of unique way of fundraising where they kind of put it around actual patients. So you have people doing roller derbies. You have people doing bar crawls, whatever they might have. If we didn't do one, we do for Larry before bar crawl. But <laughs> I decided to do a podcast and said, since Larry's down in, uh, where are you at? North <laughs> Carolina? Carolina North Carolina, yeah. Yep. I'm sure they have some bars down there, but. What I'd like to do is I'd like to direct you guys to ALS TDI. And again, the idea that this disease has no treatment and no cure is shocking in this day and age. Again, 80 years plus after we know that it existed. Yep. So, Larry, let's wrap this bad boy up. Well, first off, I got to say, you got a great attitude for having this. This this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, I do, I think people kind of scoff at it, but but I do think of myself as lucky, right? I have two healthy kids. I, you know, even if I, it all ends tomorrow, I got to see them well into their life, their launch, they're happy. Things could be worse. Right. Well, that's what I mean. You've got a great attitude. And I will say, I've seen this a lot here in Michigan. Again, I had an old boss who had this. My guy grew up with across the street from us, one grade younger than us. Lots of people seem to have this. So when they say it's 5,000 people diagnosed every year, God, I think just our social group, Larry, could come up with dozens of people or maybe a dozen people. But it's, and again, this is, this is awful. And it's not a disease that can't be fought. It's one that we're just really underfunded on. So we're going to ask for you, if you can can donate a few bucks to ALS TDI, please do. And if not, please just share this because I think as much as anything, awareness of yeah. this awful disease would be really nice. You know, we're in the COVID-19 era. A lot of people are not <laughs> financially well off. They have their own problems. I get that. But Share this podcast with your friends and family because, again, it's an awful disease and uh, it's well past time we should have had some options for this. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, do what you can money-wise, but at least share this with someone because we really need to get the message out. You know, the ice bucket challenge was a big breakthrough as far as people became aware of it. Although I met a lot of people and I tell them they have ALS and they say, I've never heard of that. And I said, have you ever heard of the ice bucket challenge? I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. People don't remember that was a, for ALS and that that actually enabled, I believe they've traced one or two drugs directly back to the money that was raised through that. It's really, it's an incurable disease, but it's incurable right now because it's an underfunded disease. And everybody out there can make a big difference by throwing a few bucks in the kitty and making sure that the people around them know about it. Yeah, you know, I did that ALS ice bucket challenge. This is before you had it, I think, Larry. Yeah, yeah, it was before. And I remember when I, the brilliance of that was they said, you have to either give money 
<laughs> or dump ice cold water over yourself. But I think everybody did both because everybody be, did both. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I remember you like, I was th- so I remember after I did the ice bucket challenge, I videoed it and I said, oh, okay, now how much I got to give some money? I went online, donated some money. And I thought, wait a sec, why did I do both? <laughs> but it would have felt kind of cheesy to say, oh no, no way I'm going to part with a hundred bucks. I, uh, I decided to just get cold water on myself because I'm, <laughs> I'm a selfish bastard. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, was, I was actually, I think my last business trip before I stopped traveling was to China. And I knew at the time I had ALS and I was trying to explain to these people who grew up in China that I had ALS and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to translate that? And, you know, there's no way in the world, no one will know what it is. But then I just had shot in the dark. I said, the ice bucket challenge. And they, oh yeah. And they're all, their eyes lit up. But it was, it's funny how something like that can just make a difference. Right. And so I talked to Aaron and I know you've talked to Aaron over mm-hmm. at ALS TDI mm-hmm. and she mentioned that they really did have a lot of awareness, a lot of money flow in. But it's like any of these diseases, any of these fundraisers after 9-11, all the charity money went to the families and, and yeah. justifiably so to the victims. And then, you know, but when that money went to that, it went for a few years and then it went away. And that money came from somewhere. So this is a disease we've got to get cured. Again, I keep hearing that it's a small disease relative to others, but the impact on families and lives, just in my own experience, just devastating. It's a horrible way to go. And, you know, Larry also is very fortunate in that he works worked for great companies. He's got great insurance. Larry was telling me offline that not everybody gets necessarily good treatment because wildly expensive drugs for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've... One of the drugs that's currently available is an infusion-only drug. So not only you have to pay for the drug, or someone has to pay for the drug, but then typically there's an infusion center. You know, nurses have to put the needle in your arm, those kinds of things. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was on the order of, you know, thousands of dollars a month to get this treatment. And yeah, I mean, I'm extremely fortunate because I, I have very good insurance and, you know, it was covered by my plan, but a lot of people don't. And it, it's just even more devastating to know that you can't access the little bit of treatments that are available if that's the case for you. Right. And again, I just think if we could just, the worst thing about this is the no hope. If you could just say to people like Larry, hey, this will get you five extra years. Well, if you get five extra years, you can say, who knows what happens? There'll be stem cell research. There'll be all sorts yeah. of cool things in five years. But we don't have that. So we, it's, people are watching their, their family members waste away. And I think, you know, speaking to Larry, it's hard on his family. He's got to watch his family watch him. Right. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah, we're, we haven't really talked about, you know, what the experience of ALS is. And, you know, I, I don't want to, turn it into a pity party. But basically what happens when you have ALS is that you lose the use of your body incrementally. I'm fortunate in that mine is progressing very slowly. Other people progresses very rapidly and also depends where it starts in your body. And me, it started in my calf. Some people it starts in their neck or near their their neck. And what happens when you have ALS is you slowly lose the use of your body and you your brain is still fully intact. And in the end stages of this disease, you're basically a brain locked in a body that you can't move. Right. This is like Stephen Hawking's head. Yeah, exactly. Probably everybody's seen Stephen Hawking's, the physicist in a, in a wheelchair. 
with a machine that talks for him. And he actually uses his eyes to, to pick something off a screen. And I believe he actually had use of a thumb or a finger or something till the end of his life. And he was able to click the mouse and he pointed with his eyes. But, you know, you're, I will have to make a decision down the road, actually not that far down the road, about whether I want to get a feeding tube or not. And if I decide not to get a feeding tube, I will either die of pneumonia or I'll starve to death. And shortly after that, even if I get a feeding tube, I have to decide whether I want to go on a, a respirator or not. And if I decide not to do that, you know, my breathing will be the reason that I'll die. But it's there are all these horrible decisions that have to be made and the things that I will have to go through. But worse, my family will have to watch me go through. And, you know, as bad as this is, I'd rather I had it than to have to watch someone I love who had it. Oh, oh, can't imagine, Larry. It's tough on you, tough on the family. I had an old boss within Chrysler and love that guy. He was kind of does dotted line him on some projects and he had, and I went through that where he didn't know what he had. Mm-hmm. Couldn't figure out what was going on. I remember flying over to uh, University of Wisconsin had some promising treatments or I guess diagnosis. And when he was finally diagnosed, it seemed like it was six or eight months into the ordeal. But I remember him not wanting to go to lunch with us one time. And I, I said, why do you come to lunch with this? He goes, cause I can't lift the tray. Ugh. And then he goes, and I'm not, <laughs> and then I, when I said, well, I'll, he goes, and you're not carrying my tray like you're my boyfriend, Joe. I was like, <laughs> I was like but he had to start bringing his lunch to work because he couldn't lift a tray of food. He got lazy. And I was like, I was like, why the hell did you get lazy with all the problems you got? He goes, cause I can't lift my arm to put my contacts in. Wow. And I was like, oh, so yeah, the guys, if, if you know anybody who's suffered this, it's devastating. And again, uh, not to, uh, depress you. I really want to encourage you to share this, make it known, become aware of this awful disease. And if you can spare a few bucks, give to ALS TDI. And uh, again, I'll put a link here to uh, the fundraiser specifically for Larry, not for his care, but for treatment research. Yeah. Thanks. And thanks to everybody for doing whatever you can. Yeah. So Anyway, final thoughts, Larry, before we wrap this bad boy up? Well, I just want to tell you thanks, Joe, because I know this isn't your regular shtick. And I know that you reached out to me and you initiated this. And I really, it means a lot to me that that you and a lot of people I know have known over the years. And some of them who, frankly, I barely knew have really made a point to reach out to me. And that's one of the things that kind of makes me really feel blessed that this is you know, this is a bad situation, but there's a good side to everything. Yep. Larry, if I could tell you, this is my own feeling is I've, we talked a little bit about this offline. You know, I'm, Larry and I are different, even though I consider a good friend, we would argue on Facebook about things. <laughs> Usually just and in retrospect, I look and go, God, I'm arguing with a guy who's got this illness. And then it's kind of was a wake up call because I respect what Larry has to say. I think he respects what I have to say. We're friends. We can be on different side of the aisle on certain things. We mm-hmm. both want the same things. You know, I, I admire what Larry's done with his life. And it, it kind of, to me, his getting this disease was like a wake up call. I go, okay, I'm not going to waste as much time fiddling around on the internet. I'm not going to waste as much time <laughs> arguing on Facebook all the nonsense activities that we just adopted over time. It was never a decision that I will now get lost in YouTube for two hours at a time. Yeah. I just started doing it. So it this really makes you, this is a penance for me. <laughs> it really makes you value your life. I'm on a number of ALS groups, primarily on Facebook. And 
very regularly, you will see people come on who are just diagnosed. And they kind of always, the first question they ask kind of always seems to boil down to, what should I do? And my answer to that, and I know what they mean is, you know, where should I go? What treatments, blah, blah, blah. What can I do to stop this? My answer to them is go make memories with someone you love because that's what you have left. And so don't, don't spend your life looking for a miracle cure that isn't going to come. Go do something. And here's a chance to actually do something so that that miracle cure can come. Yep. And that reminds me, Larry, of George Costanza's speech to Elaine's boyfriend who was losing his hair. <laughs> uh, Lynn, I don't Lynn, remember this one, so you're going to have to tell me. Elaine's <laughs> boyfriend was losing his hair, and George looked over his head, and he said, well, what can I do? And he said, live! <laughs> go on and live! <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> anyway, Larry, thank you very much. And again, thank you all of you for who stayed to the end and indulged this a little off topic. I promise this is not going to become a regular feature on my podcast, but it's important. You know, again, this is, I hope you recognize the importance of curing this awful disease, but also just wake up, live your life. Because again, we can all become a little bit zombies mm-hmm. where we start worrying about, oh, I didn't pay that bill or I gained five pounds. Those are problems guys like Larry would love to have right now. So thank you for having me, Joe. It means a lot. Yep. Thank you, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.